the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. My name is Mike Lee, and I've been somehow given the privilege of being the Director of Local Ministries here at True Talk 800, 93.9 KPDQ, and 104.1 The Fish. And don't forget that coming up on Thursday, October 16th, spaces are still available for you to come out for Listener Appreciation Night at Calvary Chapel, Portland, featuring Raul Reese of Somebody Loves You Radio, heard weekdays at 8.30 nights on True Talk, as well as 3.30 in the afternoon on our sister station, KPDQ at 93.9 FM. Admission is absolutely free. Just make sure that you RSVP to make our lives easier so we can prepare for the venue at kpdq.com. And if you are serving as a pastor or a leader in ministry, why don't you come out to Bridging the Gap? It's our ministry leadership breakfast on Friday, October 17th. It'll be held at 745 in the morning featuring Raul Reese again, and that'll be at the Sheridan Portland Airport. Again, admission is free, but do RSVP at kpdq.com. You may remember earlier on in Difference Makers, we had a very special guest, a golf pro expert and the head coach over at Multnomah University, Daniel Jarvie. And today in the studio, we've got his wife, Shelly Grace Jarvie. And Shelly Grace is the director of university programs right here in the Portland area for a group called Two and a Half Miles. Now, I want to warn anyone driving around or listening with sensitive or young ears with them that we're going to hit some pretty serious subject matter. So if you're with kids or on the sensitive side, why don't you flip it over to 104.1 The Fish for an hour and then, of course, come back to True Talk 800. So, Shelley Grace, first of all, thank you for coming in today. Thanks for having me, Mike. And thanks for bringing us some good weather. <laughs> That's me, right? I <laughs> uh, appreciate that. And basically, can you tell us exactly what is... Two and a half miles, which you could find, of course, on their website, twoandahalfmiles.org, if you spell the words out without using numerals. Yeah, so Two and a Half Miles is an organization that um, its sole purpose is to support the work of R3s. And what an R3 is, is an organization, quite often faith-based, but organizations that rescue, rehabilitate, or reintegrate survivors of sex trafficking around the world. And how did you begin to get involved with Two and a Half Miles in the first place? Uh, I think, can you give us some of your background, besides being the wife of golf pro Daniel Jarvie? <laughs> okay. Where did you grow up, for instance? Okay, so I am Mrs. Jarvie, that's true. I was I was born in the Midwest, and my family came out here when I was little, and we ended up in Tualatin, Oregon, and I've been in the Portland area ever since. Um I went to Portland State University, and I was an engineer here in the Portland area, electrical engineer for a while. And and then I've just, um, when I was there, I was in technical marketing. By the end, I stopped designing, and I was in technical marketing. And after that, I just ended up doing marketing and business development and business analysis um, for myself and for other people. I contracted my work. So, okay, so how did I end up with two and a half miles? Um 
there there's stuff that we do and then there's stuff that we want to do right and i was mm-hmm. trying to figure out how those two things would come together and a couple years ago i ran into some guy and ended up a month later married and we have already heard that story but at the same time i started <laughs> started having <laughs> you're so glib i know like of, oh, we heard swim that past that <laughs> <laughs> um but then at about the same time i started having dreams and the and the dreams are really um they were prolific and detailed about um, building the city back to something that it used to be and making something out of what it's become. And what it's become really is, uh, sadly, is a hub for sex trafficking in the United States. So about a year ago, in the summer, we were at church and there was a program on the pew and my husband said, honey, this is what your dreams have been about. And it was a um, training for teaching junior high school kids about the lures of sex trafficking and internet safety around personal um, safety in the internet social space. Um, and then from there, uh, I developed, I started developing preventative intervention models for communi- grassroots community, grassroots community work from the perspective of if we want to present some, prevent something, as a community, we have to prevent it. We have to have a dialogue with our kids. We have to have mm-hmm. a dialogue with our, the owners of our small businesses. We have to know what a predator looks like, and we have, to know, um, we have to know what the problem looks like. We have to not engage in the problem, and we have to report it when we see it. And really, it, everything boils down to those things. And I started looking at how do we disseminate this information and come together as a community to start really a new abolitionist movement. As a wife, and in addition to that, as being a mom, have you noticed a lot of pushback from, say, families, parents in particular, when it comes to bringing up subjects maybe they're uncomfortable with mentioning to the kids, much less sharing ways to prevent some things they may or may not feel comfortable speaking about? Um, not so much that. I think the thing that I, I notice most when I'm talking to people is it's, um, it's hard for people to fathom that it's happening here, not just in, um, it's not just in the United States. It's not just in the big cities. It's not just in the city of Portland. It's in our neighborhoods. I mean, I, I know personally of cases that have happened in my neighborhood and in the neighborhoods next door to my neighborhood. And so um, when when we get down to that level and people have raised their kids in neighborhoods that they've know and trust and and then they think, well, this is all safe. And when I say, yeah, th- okay, so here's the latest case that I know about in this area, that's kind of hard for people to fathom. That's the, That gets hard. It hits a little too close to home, yeah, doesn't I it? Yeah, so. Okay, that's supposed to be for the big city, but I live in a nice area here or out in the suburbs. This shouldn't be happening, and yet it is. I yeah. mean, didn't we hear a, a very recent news story about a young woman who was a, a high school cheerleader before she ended up on the wrong end of the sex trafficking industry. Yeah. And that's, and that's, that was one of the more shocking cases. I mean, that's, that's where it's exactly where people think, wait a minute, this is such a nice neighborhood. And this is, these are great schools. These are the best schools. And why is this happening? But it's, it's not that it's happening here and how could it be happening here? It's, it's happening everywhere and we're not aware of it as a community. And until we are more aware of it as a community, we're not going to be able to see the signs of it until Things like this, these tragedies happen, and then they make the news, and and that's what that's what we have. We have very few people aware that this is happening. Pretty much anywhere there's a road, which is where two and a half miles comes in. <laughs> 
So two and a half miles, um, the name two and a half miles comes from um, back in the eighteen, the late eighteen hundreds. A uh, a young girl was um, escaped a brothel in London, and she managed to um, to find herself to some people who would help her, and those people, including um, including the Salvation Army, and including the a uh, sorry a journalist, they started garnering support to change the laws in England so that um, the age of consent was increased and and kids could not be victimized this way. And they gathered um, signatures on a petition and they took it to Parliament. And this took a really long time, and there was a lot of resistance from all corners of the city of London. But ultimately, when that petition went to Parliament, it stretched to two and a half miles. It had hundreds of thousands of signatures and stretched two and a half miles. The and petition that's where, itself, mm-hmm, the petition wow, itself. which is where the, the name two and a half miles came from. Right. Gotcha. So we've just saved you a few minutes on the video on the website, <laughs> twoandahalfmiles.org, in case you're curious. That's, that's a great visual that you've given us, Shelley Grace Jarvie. Thanks. What we're going to do is just contemplate what two and a half miles is can do in this area, and locally what you're doing as the director of university programs. I guess one question as a father I have to ask you is, do you think this has always gone on, or do you think it's gotten a lot worse in recent years? I think it's gotten a lot worse in recent years, and I I don't think, I don't mean like there was a moment where suddenly something broke and then we had this influx of it. I think that really over the decades that we've seen since World War II, right? Then we saw women in the workforce, and then we saw a sexual revolution, and then we saw um, contraceptives changing things, and then we saw this um, emergence of a, of a hypersexualized um, media and and society. And now we're seeing with the the results of those things, and we also see a higher rate of divorce, and we see um, a higher rate of single parent families and fatherless children. And so, with all of that stuff comes this um, sort of chronic marginalization of our kids and our and our young people. And I don't mean like kids at the age of 18, they're out on their own and what they do is not, not their problem anymore because this happens to people in their eight, you know, in their early twenties and in their late teens. And this isn't uh, just about children. You know, this is a problem that spans beyond that. But what we found is this marginalization that happens with these things are, are what people take advantage of. When we return with Shelley Grace Jarvie, more about two and a half miles and trying to make a difference in the Portland area. More information is available on their Facebook page, Two and a Half Miles, or their website, twoandahalfmiles.org. You're listening to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Welcome back to True Talk 800. You're listening to Difference Makers featuring the Director of University Programs, Shelley Grace Jarvie of an organization, Two and a Half Miles. Now, they've got a website, and if you spell the words out, you get to it most directly, twoandahalfmiles.org. Just a reminder, if you're only tuning in at this moment, we're going to talk about some serious subject matter. So if you've got young or sensitive ears, you might want to flip over to 104.1 The Fish for the rest of the hour. Shelley Grace, again, thank you for joining us this uh, program. And earlier on, we were talking about the way things have changed. And it, this is not 
the America that you and I grew up in. We do have to be more vigilant about what we let our young ones get into. And unfortunately, the human or the sex trafficking industry is not only um, about being child predators. It it goes up to about what age, would you think, uh, are the potential victims who get drawn into the industry? Oh, I don't think that there's an age limit. I think that the the primary key is um, how are people marginalized? I think that if you look at marginalization anywhere, if you have a war-torn um, country and there's poverty and drought and you see um, those people are selling their children to traffickers or they're selling their organs to organ traffickers. And so they're marginalized in a very different way than than our population is marginalized. So it's not so much, it's not age specific so much as marginalization versus mainstream. And this, this isn't a male or a female or a child. This is a human problem, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's a human problem. All right. At, at the risk of shocking and awing some of our listeners, I'd like you to explain some of the problems and issues and, and spout statistics and numbers. You, you come from an engineering background. What do we need to hear to really uh, splash some cold water in our faces and wake us up about this problem? Well, so the first thing that you said was, um, you know, so how has our culture changed or how does how how are we not in the same place that we grew up? And one of the things that is dramatically different, even, you know, 10 years, five years ago, really dramatically different is that when you and I were kids, we were afraid of the dark or we were afraid of the dark streets at night or we were afraid of being in town away from our neighborhood or something like that. And that concept is different now because out there is is now on a personal device in our kids' hands pretty much around the clock. If they're not sleeping, eating, or in school, they're attached to a device. That's statistically, if you have a kid older than 10 or 11 and they're awake and they're not in school eating or sleeping, they are attached <laughs> to the internet. And that internet is the big wide world and that's where the predators are today. So the stranger danger that we learned about when we were kids, now strangers can dress up in pristine, a pristine cloak of a false identity and prowl in our kids' minds because they're connected to the internet in some way. If they're playing mass media games, online games, if they're looking at YouTube, everything that happens out in that world is is coming right into their bedrooms under our noses, and it's really hard to monitor it, even when you have parental guidance and parental controls. So working alongside Two and a Half Miles, what, as a mom, do you do to prevent your own kids from falling into the same dangers that we have out there that weren't around when we were growing up? I, I think you would, if you ask my children, I would, they would say, I'm, I'm just really irritating. Um, <laughs> I'm In a good way. I... <laughs> So I think that we can't compromise. One of the things that happens with the kids is things like, Mom, I'm this many teen years old. Um, don't you trust me? Um, I can take care of myself. And and what I say to my kids is we do, we actually do trust our kids, but they're not the ones that we have to wonder if we can trust. What, what we can't trust are are the predators who are are looking for kids to traffic. And they're in, they're on Facebook, and they're 
they're they're on the online games and they're looking through the personal information that they can glean from our kids to gain their trust and pose as different people than they are um, to bring those kids into an unsafe situation. So, Are there any yellow or red flag situations that you can warn parents about that they need to really be especially vigilant about watching their kids on? Um, yeah, one of the things that uh, traffickers really want to do is they want to get your kids um, alone and start to put something between you and them. So if um, if your kids are starting to be, you got to look at changes in behavior, right? So if your kids start to be secretive in a way that you wonder about. Now, not any one of these things is going to be a perfect pointer to this is what's happening. But if you start seeing signs like um, that they're overly attached to their cell phone or there are um, they're hanging out with older kids or their grades have suddenly dropped in school or they're having trouble sleeping or they're showing any signs of trauma whatsoever. These are some of the signs of trafficking. Um, there are a few phases of it, though. So when kids are still at home, it looks different. They start um, to have self-image issues, possibly. They might seem depressed. They might be having trouble sleeping or they're not getting their schoolwork done or there's truancy, they're not wanting to go to school. Those are the kinds of things. When you see those kind of changes, you just want to be vigilant. I mean, it could be all kinds of things, but those are the kinds of signs that something like this could be happening. So I think you've done a pretty good job of giving us an idea of what to try to keep our kids away from. But can you tell us what you as a mom have told your kids and shared with them and be maybe a little age specific? Okay. What's appropriate for us to share with our kids without scaring them to death so they're sleeping right. so they can't sleep at night. So, let's see. I have a 11-year-old, a 13-year-old and a 15-year-old and I do I talk to them each differently. And the 15-year-old is um he loves to be online with with um massive audience games. So, he goes into a world that's on his computer and there are strangers and everybody is in there. And there are all kinds of ways there are their first thing is but there are um, security measures. Well, except if you go online and you search, how do you get around the security measures? It's no problem getting around the security measures. People can talk to you online without the need at, by jumping those security measures. So when I talk to the boys, I, I tell them things like, well, they think they ask me questions like, why would they come after me? And the answer is they're not coming after you per se. Who they would be coming after is anybody that could respond in a way that would indicate to them that they would make a good target. And that would be things like sharing too much information, um, not just not having a sense of security about themselves, which as we trust people and get to know each other, those boundaries get let down and we start trusting each other and letting them in. The problem with that is that when we're online, like if, if Mike, if you and I never met each other and we just knew each other online and you were some avatar cartoon shape in a game and i was a different avatar cartoon shape in a game you could present yourself as whomever you wanted to and you could say you know i'm i'm a 14 year old girl and i'm you know i'm kind of i'm a goth and i love my games and my computers and yeah i'm i'm a little bit of a rebel and my parents kind of give me grief and we would start relating if i were a 15 year old boy right that would be and you and i would start talking well except for that you're not a 14 year old girl you're somebody else who's posing as that there's no way for my kid to know that. They're never going to see that person in, in physical, <laughs> physically. And so that person can carry on and be 
anybody that they want to be. And as that relationship develops, and see, you and I would think that that relationship is developing naturally because we're used to those relationships being backed up with a physical relationship, a human relationship. I've, I've, shake, I've shaken your hand. Now we know each other. Those are the kinds of things that are missing from these relationships. And that's how they can look natural to someone, an inexperienced person or a kid or someone who's not used to this internet side of things being impersonal that's how they can skip past the normal safety measures that we would have if we were meeting that person in person there'd be a whole bunch of warning signs they're not giving those warning signs off though when they've dressed themselves in the skin of a 14 year old goth girl who's a little bit rebellious but loves games Mm -hmm. you know that sounds like a cool kid to hang out with it does and it's just so enticing and if anything, it's easier. It's funny. Everybody gets to be a radio DJ today, <laughs> right? So let me think. It was about, what, 15-ish years ago when it was on MySpace and that got big. And now Facebook has just exploded. And then you've got all these other sites. So I, you, I remember you telling me that there are ways to get around these security systems. So uh, one of my kids was telling me, oh, well, my cousin's doing this, but it's on Snapchat, so it'll go away forever, so it's okay. And I'm like, you don't really believe that, do you? And now yeah. you've got the scans with all the, the Hollywood um, famous celebrities whose naked pictures have been stolen from the cloud and put in online, and I don't think they're agreeing with that anymore. Re- really, if you put it out there on the internet, expect it to be there for the rest of your life. Right. And good luck otherwise. Right. So do you think that, in a sense, this is the first generation which is having so much relational experience at a young age without it being face-to-face? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we didn't have these opportunities, did we? If you had, if you had a pen pal when you were in grade school or junior high school, you might have gotten a letter from that person, what, every month? That would be how often you were talking to a complete stranger, it's not like today where you have constant chatting going on. And again, you never really know who's going to be on the other side of that screen. And we all think that we're going to present ourselves in a truthful way. So aren't they also? But no, exactly not. So there are some good security measures that you can take, although none of them are foolproof. Right. You can go and uh, use. Uh, personally, I like Net Nanny. There's ones out there like K9 and. Um, a friend of mine had launched a company called SafeguardSocial.com to try to educate today's parents on what their kids are getting into. What is the next Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or Snapchat, right? Right. So do you have any suggestions when it comes to not only screen time, but are there limits that we need to be putting on our kids that are healthy without making them feel like we're cutting them off from the world? You know, I, I think ideally it's staying in communication with your kids they have a tendency to be connected to their screen and being private. Don't don't let that be the case. Get in there with them. Look at what they're looking at. Read what they're reading. Talk to them about what it is. And take the opportunities to ask questions and let them just examine the hypotheticals of how realistic is this? How much information do you have about this outside of what they're giving you? If it's kids you know at school, that's a that's a better safety net than if it's a complete stranger and and that kind of stuff. Just staying involved is the most important thing. And local kids can abuse and crucify you badly enough online. How much worse is it with someone you've never met in person? Right. Shelly Grace Jarvie is the director of university programs at Two and a Half Miles. They're on Twitter. Follow them. Free them forever. At Free Them Forever on Twitter. 
Two and a Half Miles is their Facebook page. And do take a look at their website for some interesting information. Spell all the words out. Don't use numerals. It's twoandahalfmiles.org. You're listening to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Chris Williams is across the glass today, and he has a great suggestion. Earlier on, you were uh, mentioning different ways that kids can get into trouble, and the Internet is just such a bastion of bad as well as good information. But something Chris suggested was OpenDNS.org. Again, that's OpenDNS.org. As a a flunked-out electrical engineering student, I can't tell you what that does, but both Chris and Shelley are nodding their heads about being a good source of protecting our kids from what's out there. And and friends, if if you've got a kid who's old enough to use a keyboard, I'm talking five years old even, all right, if you have no internet security on your Cell phone, smartphone, iPad, um, tablet, laptop, desktop, anything out there, um, then shame on you. Okay. But, and I could say that because I got into the game a little bit later than I should have. And shame on me as a dad. But regardless, uh, we're speaking with Shelly Grace Jarvey, the director of university programs of an organization called Two and a Half Miles. More information is on their website. If you spell the words out, twoandahalfmiles.org, also on Twitter and on Facebook. So, Shelly, thanks so much for coming in and educating us today. Shelly Grace Darby. Oh, thanks for having me. So, so wait, wait, Mike. You asked please go me on. To, yes, you asked me to give you some statistics. And I actually have myself a little cheat sheet of statistics. Um, we talked about how people start getting marginalization when, Mar- marginalized, excuse me, when they're young in that they might have a divorce in their family, they might have a missing parent, um, that kind of stuff. And what happens first is is this sort of disjointed sense of relationship. And then what we haven't really talked much about is um, the influence of pornography and the hypersexualized media that we experience. And then how that ends up um, sort of feeding this problem of sex trafficking. So here are some statistics that I have, which this is definitely eye-opening for the parent. <clears throat> One in three children ages 11 and 12 have been in dating relationships. Three and four have been in dating relationships by the time they're 14. Now, these are all, I can, if you want the uh, bibliography later, we can have it. So one in four kids and parents say sexual activity is part of tween dating uh, relationships that are between the ages of 11 and 14 are tween dating, okay? So half the tweens and one in four teens wouldn't know what to do to report abuse. One in three kids who have had sex before the age of 14 report abuse from a sexual partner. One in four girls do not finish high school. Most often the reason is pregnancy. 47.4% of high school students have had sex. 15.3% have had sex with four or more people. Nearly half of the 19 million new STDs, sexually transmitted diseases, each year are in the 15 to 24-year-old age range. Over 400,000 teenage girls give birth approximately in a year. This is from 2009. So when we talk about what do we do for our kids, what we need to do for our kids is be involved in the choices that they're making and help inform the choices that we're making. Those are hard statistics for me to hear as a parent. Um, Illusions, there's pornography. One of the illusions that we have is that pornography is... uh, a victimless crime uh, with regard to child pornography. And there's, there are all kinds of arguments about why that's not the case. Pornography is 
commercial sex. I mean, there's there's really no way otherwise to define it. And where that becomes a problem is um, a large number of the of the images that we see are actually of children. They're not adults. Even when they're dressed as adults, we're often exploiting children. The average age for first-time exposure to pornography is 11 years old. The largest group of on- online pornography users used to be 12 to 17-year-old f- boys. There, there are now more men in the 20 to 40-year-old range, and the 12 to 17-year-olds don't hold the market as they used to, but there are still a large group of people using pornography. 80% of 15 to 17-year-olds will have had multiple exposures to hardcore pornography, hardcore having violence or some um, component of it that's not typical. Pornography is a key factor in more than 50% of today's divorce cases. That statistic came from um, a bar association. I think it's the American Bar Association. One in three Internet users report unwanted exposure to pornography through pop-up ads and misdirected link or spam. And that's an important thing because when you think about getting your letting your kid have free reign on an unprotected computer, they're they're going to see things even when they're not invited into that kid's life, they're going to pop into that kid's life and um it's sort of like driving past a car accident, something pops up, they're looking and then it becomes harder and harder to look away. And that's and that's what they're hoping for because pornography is an addictive um, I don't know how to describe it. It's an addictive drug. There are advocacy groups proving the addictive nature of pornography. So with regard to sex trafficking, now now we're talking about how this is progressing and how this is sort of like further and further from healthy and normal. Um, child sexual exploitation is the most hidden form of sexual abuse in the United States and North America today, according to the, um, there's a cornerstone study done in 2001 at the University of Pennsylvania, which sort of informs everything. It's actually the first generation of information that we got, we have in the United States. Um, About 300,000 adolescents, this is a, is, are being trafficked presently in the United States. 90% of trafficked and exploited youth have experienced some form of abuse and neglect, and the majority are runaways and homeless, although there's there's no one safe from it. And as we've heard from, um, like, the cheerleader uh, story or the kid who graduates but comes back and hangs around and is actually grooming kids, those kinds of stories, we understand that it's not just the kids who are homeless or runaway. Um, All of our kids are susceptible, and the average age of children recruited or lured in, or is in between 12 and 14. And presently, there was just a study last year done, 469 sexually exploited minors in the Portland, Vancouver area um, were served by DHS and and SARC between 2009 and 2013. So we actually were able to see a study that identified almost 500 kids separately as being kids on the street exploited in Portland. And if you were to take a guess here locally in the Portland metropolitan area, do you think that that's the majority of them or most likely only a small fraction of those that they could actually find much less report? Right. That's a, that's a small section and by the reporting of those kids, in fact, because those are the ones who um, had the freedom to go and receive um, services from these agencies and therefore could identify themselves as trafficked. They 
each of them could report several more people who weren't receiving any services. So it's a small part. I heard a story about a young woman down in Southern Oregon who was enticed to join the entertainment industry, went to the first meeting with her parents, and her dad said this looked pretty legit. And all of a sudden, um, first meeting, bang, she disappeared. Uh, If I remember the story correctly, it took eight years until they were able to find her, and she was miles away from her home being forced into the sex traffic industry they drove her by her home on a regular base and said if you say anything or try to escape we're going to kill them all right so that's so that's one of the things that people don't understand people say well why don't you just run away why don't why didn't that person um seek help one of the things that traffickers do is they there are tracks there are three different routes through the united states if somebody is picked up in portland they are likely to end up being trafficked up and down the I-5 corridor and um, not given one place to stay. Their their identity is taken from them. Their family is threatened. They're threatened. They're beat pretty regularly, at first quite regularly. And the other people that are also being trafficked, that they're befriending and becoming a part of that family with, those girls are also being threatened and beat. So you there's really nothing about it that is something that can easily be escaped and that's something that we don't realize it looks like they're just walking around free they're not walking around free and it's not simply girls so so as a mom shelly grace jarvey whether it's talking to your sons or all of us talking to our daughters what notes what words of wisdom would you have to share as a parent to a child that the child needs to know to maybe better fend off and ward off some of the lies that they're being fed by these sex traffickers? So there are a few things. One of the things, so you're right, it's not just girls. Um, statistically, they say between 20 and 50% of, of kids who are trafficked are boys. So it is not a single gender. But with regard to anybody who wants to get you away from home, anybody who wants to, um, you know, when you're when you're a young teenager and somebody who's a young adult wants wants you, there's something wrong with that. Um, anybody who promises you something that's too good to be true and, you know, they have all the right trappings, they have the beautiful car and they have the nice clothes and I hear he's got nice shoes and, and they promise this love. And that's one of the things um, that entraps people. If they don't want to do that in a legitimate way, there's something that you need to question. So if it sounds too good to be true... It is. Shelley Grace Jarvie is the director of university programs at Two and a Half Miles. So do you have any specific universities or colleges in the area that you will be addressing or meeting with anytime soon? So we're actually gearing up to address 500 universities across the nation in the first year of, of launching the program. And yeah, I want to be at every university that's local. Well, we look forward to that. Shelley Grace Jarvie of Two and a Half Miles. Don't use numerals, spell the words out, and you can find more information on the website, twoandahalfmiles.org. More with Shelley Grace Jarvie next on True Talk 800. Welcome back to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Mike Lee here with a serious subject matter for the day. So if you have kids or those with sensitive ears, throw it on to 104.1 The Fish for the rest of the hour as we interview Shelley Grace Jarvie. Shelley Grace is the wife of 
golf pro Daniel Jarvie, who we had on Difference Makers earlier this year. And she's also the director of university programs at Two and a Half Miles. And if you spell the words at twoandahalfmiles.org, you can find a lot of great information on the outreach of what Two and a Half Miles does. So I'm going to go back to an earlier point that we were discussing, Shelley Grace, about Kids getting taken advantage of, or, you know, kids of all ages when it comes down to it, being taken advantage of by people selling them what they want to hear. And what I'd mention was, if it sounds too good to be true, most likely it is. And that that goes for a lot of what we deal with in life. But what other suggestion did you have to go along with that? Well, because... I don't want to dash kids' dreams. If it sounds too good to be true, bring it home to mom and dad. If it sounds too good to be true, have it checked out. If it's somebody approaching you in a mall that says you could be a model and you should come to this, you know, call, model's call, don't say no, but don't do it without your parent. Don't, if that person really loves you, then let them court you in front of your parents until you're old enough for that to be an appropriate relationship. So when it's not so much that it's it's too good to be true, it's not true so much as it's when it's too good to be true, get mom and dad involved and keep them involved and don't and don't step away from what is keeping you safe. And if miraculously the person loses interest in you, then that tends to be a red flag of maybe there was an ulterior motive yeah, in, involved. That's true. But Two and a Half Miles is not only about influencing people and educating them and hopefully about preventative measures, but it's also about redemption. Can you share with us some of what you do with the R3? So first of all, what is an R3? So an R3 is um, these are the the people that are dedicating their lives to rescue, rehabilitate, and reintegrate people who are coming out of sex slavery. These are the people who have gone to – little corners of the world and and created rescue villages to to give people new identities after their identities have been stolen and new lives after their lives have been taken away from them when they are rescued from trafficking in um you know in Kolkata or in Nepal or somewhere where they've been taken away from their families stripped of their identity and and had their lives taken they're getting restored i i mentioned those but they're here in the united states as well and there's there's one in oregon um, there's the House of Engedi here in the Northwest. It's not in Portland exactly. Um, and that is a safe house. It's the first safe house in Oregon for adults, survivors of sex trafficking. And these are people who are needing a place to land and heal and develop new relationships and learn skills and and overcome the trauma that they've been through. And then eventually get the skills to reintegrate into into the rest of the world again. So maybe you're a victim of commercial sexual exploitation, and maybe that comes in a lot of different flavors, unfortunately, from prostitution to exotic dancing to mail-order brides to countless other things. Right. They'll tell you there is no hope for you. They'll right. tell you no one will want you after this. Right. But Shelley Grace, what are you telling us? So one of the things that happens with those relationships, traffickers – um, replace family. That's one of the ways that they they bond people, and and then they betray their those people that they're that they're exploiting. And one of the things that people have then as they come out is they have to learn who to trust and and how to trust again after the person that they loved most in the world um, betrayed them. And so that's part of the redemption process. And the other thing is 
that they weren't given a skill that they can use. They weren't given something that's going to nurture their soul and give them hope. And so they need to find that for themselves. And, and they need an environment where people can be trusted and that those people are going to love them and stick around and be there for them through this process. And it's a difficult process for them. Um, but they're, they're wonderful people. I've had, I've had the pleasure in the last month of working with um, some of the gals at the Engedi House. And Mike, I can't tell you how much joy it's given to me to get to know some of these girls who they're strong and they're resilient and they're bright and beautiful women who've really had a terrible tragedy done to them. And to see that strength come out and to see these girls blossom into um, just themselves, really. And the gals that, I, that I, gals that I get to spend time with, one of them has the most beautiful voice. She sounds like a songbird. And when she giggles, her, her laugh is musical. And, and the other one has this beautiful wit. It's sharp crack. And, and she just comes up with these one-liners that make you, you know, milk come out your nose kind of thing. Every time she's <laughs> saying something, you're going to laugh at it. And, and so you see these beautiful qualities in these people. And your heart goes out for them because for really long stretches of time, they were in such a dark, horrible place. And, and they, they need us. Actually, they need the entire community to come around them and show them that they're valuable and they're loved. So that's what, that's what these um, R3s are doing. They're giving, these are people who are giving their lives over to helping these people come back into the light after they've been in darkness for a really long time. Because and, they count. Yeah, exactly. And the, so what Two and a Half Miles is doing is recognizing that that work that, that those people are doing, the Arthurs are doing, it's tireless. <laughs> I mean, it's, there's, it's, it's incredibly difficult work, and it's, it's thankless work, and it's something, but it's something that they live for. These are things that people do because they're called to do it. It's amazing. What they need is our financial support. They need us to understand um, from cons- as we consume things. How do we consume things intelligently? We don't participate we don't buy things that participate in trafficking. And ultimately, we're going to offer things that, where when you purchase something, you can actually participate in the solution rather than the problem. So those are the kinds of things that they're doing to help R3s and funding R3s. We've got projects. One of them, there's a, pan, there's a hospital called the Pansy Hospital. It's in Africa. And this man has devoted his life to helping women who've been injured from rape. And so the entire hospital is devoted to helping these women. So Two and a Half Miles is working on a project to fund a permanent electrical source for them, an energy source for their hospital. Um, there's a sur- survivor's story and, and a hero's story book that's being um, written, and the proceeds to that book go back to the survivors. And then there's the university programs, which is um, bringing awareness and activism to colleges across the United States. So those are the kind of things that Two and a Half Miles is working on to to bolster the work that our threes are doing. Well, I can say is God bless you and Two and a Half Miles, Shelley Grace Jarvey. And what I really need to ask you right now is what you're doing is quite obviously a good thing and is bringing redemption and hope to victims of the sex trafficking industry. But why are you doing this? Why do you do what you do, Shelley Grace? Oh, that's a great question. I don't, I don't have a good answer to that. I think that when I'm listening to God and 
he he speaks softly and he doesn't give me a lot of explanation he gives me very um short directives and sometimes they don't make sense to me and when i question them, i don't get more information i get the same thing repeated and what that might be is go to that go to that class or or read that book or study that or reach out to that person and when i'm obedient and i hear those things and i walk this way then that's how I ended up finding myself here. And I'm not, I'm in good company. There's um, the people at Engetti House. They're doing a lantern walk this weekend on Saturday. And um, there are about 300 people walking the Portland International Raceway um, for the cause this weekend on Saturday. And there's also a sex trafficking conference called Connect PDX going on on October 2nd here in Portland as well with churches coming together. And so there are a lot of people working really hard for this. And there's certainly a lot of reason to do so when you think about the fact that Portland has the highest per capita legal sex trade in the U.S. And the legal sex trade is what the major contributing force is that's driving the illegal sex trade. Right. Any, any oppression of humanity or God's children is bad enough as it is. But you have a voice. You have hope. And Two and a Half Miles is just one of the many great outreaches, ministries, and organizations in the Portland metropolitan area that can help you out. So, uh, Shelley Grace Jarvie, in our final minute here, can you tell us if anyone might be having questions about relationships they're entering right now or ways that they feel that they can help you out? What's the best way to get in contact with you, Shelley Grace Jarvie? Um, that's a good question, too. So you can contact me. Let's see. Would you like them to email you or sure. uh, check out your website? Okay, you can contact me. My, my email address is sgjarvey at me, like marthaedward.com. And if, okay, so here's what I would say. If you suspect anybody that you know is being trafficked, um, you need to report that to someone. There's a national human trafficking hotline, and that number is one eight 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 three seven three. 7888. Also, there are some local police that are very well versed in human trafficking and amazing people here locally. Um, if you're not sure what's going on, get in touch with an adult you trust. There are, if you see a sign and you're not sure if that is something that is suspicious, contact someone and ask. Those are, those are things that you don't want to just pass by and, and wonder. Shelly Grace Jarvie, thanks so much for joining us from Two and a Half Miles. More information when you spell the words out. Don't use numerals at twoandahalfmiles.org. Thanks so much for listening to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 